Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussions in Dragons, the podcast where my brother and I take an in-depth look at the world of 5e and all things Dungeons and Dragons. Opening and closing music credit to Will Savino at patreon.com slash musicd20. I'm Jaren. And I'm Britton. And this week, we are continuing our beginner-friendly series where we discuss each class for all those who are unfamiliar or are interested in playing a specific class. This week, we are discussing Sorcerer and Barbarian. Britton, why don't you get us started and tell us all about Sorcerer? Yeah, so I'm actually really, really excited to talk about Sorcerers. I've never played one until this year. Uh, I think my first character ever was a Sorcerer, but that was Pathfinder, and that was way different than what things are now. So Sorcerers are unique in, let's say, their, their acquisition of magic. They don't have to learn, pray for, or be granted the magic that they possess by a favor like warlocks. Um, By some either event in their family's past, a cosmic event, or some sort of sheer happenstance, sorcerers are born with the innate ability to control magic and create magical feats of power. Some say that it is the magic that chooses the sorcerer. And I would like to agree. I think that it's when we think about D&D and the world and the world of Faerun and 5th edition that I think that magic permeates everything and is its own entity, almost like the force in its own way. And I think that the idea that magic is choosing an individual to flow through and be a conduit to, I think that's really freaking cool. So as you can probably tell, this is a full caster class. So as we've discussed in previous episodes, what that means is that they have the ability to cast cantrips and they're able to cast ninth level spells as well. So they get those cantrips that you can cast at will and they can cast sixth through ninth level spells as well. So just like bards uh, and warlocks, Sorcerers are charisma-based casters, so you'll want to max that first when you are building a sorcerer. Next, for me, is I like to do con because I think there's a lot of really cool concentration sorcerer spells, so you want to be a little bit more beefy so you can take hits and also so you can keep concentration on your spells. Um, Or you can do decks if you'd like, depending on what type of sorcerer that you're playing. I know the one that I'm playing right now. I maxed uh, their charisma first and then I'm putting more stats in decks because they like to be sneaky and do sleight of hand and stealth rolls and things like that. So much like wizards, they have no armor or tool proficiencies, unfortunately. So you're not allowed to wear any sort of armor lest you have some sort of detractor to your your spell casting. Um, But you do have proficiency in weapons like daggers, darts, slings, light crossbows, and quarterstaffs. Now, honestly, when it comes to playing full casters like sorcerers and wizards, it's nice to have a non-magical item that you can cast in case you're, you know, an an anti-magic zone or things like that. It'll get you out in a pinch. But at the same time, like, if there's not a lot of those around, just use your cantrips. That's what they're there for. They do also have proficiency in charisma and con saves, and you can choose up to a couple from this skill list, arcana, deception, insight, intimidation, persuasion, and religion. So a wide breadth of things, either, you know, arcana and religion, if you want to have them be a little bit more intelligent and have some proficiency in that, or deception and persuasion or intimidation, since they are going to be charisma-based casters, or 
insight as well. I think that's also a very useful skill to have proficiency in. So the thing that I attribute to sorcerers is they have two features that you get pretty early on, one at second level and one at third level. The second level one you get is called Font of Magic. So with this sort of this feature, you get a number of sorcery points equal to your sorcerer level. So at level two, you have two sorcery points available to you. And these allow you to bend or break the limits of magic with a couple different things that we'll talk about here in a second. Um, along with Font of Magic, you do get also another um, another feature called Flexible Casting. And what that is, you're able to take your sorcery points and convert them into spell slots. And inversely, you can take spell slots and convert them into sorcery points. So I think that's really cool, being able to decide what resource you want more of and being able to shift and allocate your sorcery points and spell slots back and forth. Now, it's not a one-to-one ratio. There is a table in the book um, or any resource online you'd be able to look. Now, the third level feature that they get is called Meta Magic. This is really where your sorcery points are going to be leaning into or what you're going to be dumping a lot of your sorcery points into. Yes, the spell slot conversion is pretty cool, but I think these options are way cooler and way more useful. Um, so meta magic are these options that you get to take. I think, you know, you get like two at your your beginning levels, and I think at max you end up getting four, something like that. You can trade them out every time that you are able to, uh, every time you, I think it's it's every four levels, something like that, where you're able to trade out what meta magic options that you want. But these are different ways that you can twist and influence the normal boundaries of a spell. So, for instance, if you use Subtle Spell, uh, when you cast a spell, you can spend one sorcery point to cast it without any somatic or verbal components. So, without having to move your body or speak, just using your spellcasting focus, you can cast a spell, which might come in a lot of handy. If you are in a place that you need to be stealthy, or if you are trying to make sure that you are not noticed while casting a spell, the spell just happens. Uh, Quicken Spell is another really good metamagic option as well. Uh, it's when you cast a spell that has the casting time of one action, you can spend two sorcery points to chase the casting time t- for one bonus action for this casting. And I think that is insanely useful. As you know, there are some spells that take up an entire action, which are great, but what's even better than casting one spell is casting two. Take your, uh, you know, your fireball spell switch that over to a bonus action, cast that bonus action fireball, and then cast a cantrip as your action. You know, it allows you to cast more than you normally would with Quicken Spell. And the last one I think that is really, really cool just came out with Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and that is called Transmuted Spell. So this is whenever you cast a spell that deals a type of damage from the following list, you can spend one sorcery point to change that type of damage to another type listed. So acid, cold, fire, lightning, poison, or thunder. So say you are uh, fighting some sort of lava monster and you have burning hands in your back pocket. You can cast burning hands, but with the transmuted spell, change it over to cold or to lightning damage. So now you have lightning hands or cold hands or thunder hands if you wanted to blast this thing with sound. It's a really interesting way to get around some of these normal boundaries of spells that may 
give you a disadvantage, now you can choose to have the advantage by creatively working away around these spells. Now, there are three subclasses that I want to talk about really quickly that I think are just really amazing. Um, if you're familiar with our sorcerer episode of Tasha's, when we were reviewing the Tasha's material, we talked about the aberrant mind sorcerer. Now, this is when an alien influenced, be it from the far realm, an outer plane has wrapped its influence around the sorcerer's brain and has influenced it in a way to give it psionic advantages. Um, one of the things that's really, really interesting is telepathic speech. That is a first level feature that you get with this subclass. And essentially, as a bonus action, you're able to choose any creature you can see within 30 feet of you and link minds, and you can have a telepathic conversation for a number of minutes equal to your sorcerer level. And there is no limit on this, so it's almost like a cantrip, essentially, where you can just do this all the time. And the the range of effectiveness, I guess, kind of like your, your walkie-talkie range, you can have this conversation back and forth within a number of miles equal to your charisma mod. So max is five, unless you, you know, have extended it via magic homebrewed items. But so five miles of each other at, at max boundary, you can keep this connection for 20 minutes. So, you know, say somebody is dimension doored away, you can still speak to them in their mind for a limited number of minutes. Their level six uh, ability is psionic sorcery. Now, whenever you cast a spell of first level, or first level or higher from your psionic spells feature, which they give you a list of spells that you just inherently know and you don't have to prepare, much like most full casting uh, subclasses, you can cast it by expending a spell slot as normal or by spending another number of sorcery points equal to the spell's level. And if you cast the spell using sorcery points, it requires no verbal or somatic components, and it requires no material components unless those components are consumed. So, essentially what that means, it's a lot of words to say you're getting a free subtle spell by just spending sorcery points equal to the spell's level to cast it. Which, and it doesn't require any sort of material components. So you don't have to move, you don't have to have any material components unless they're consumed, and the spell just happens. And I... Again, I, I keep saying I think that's really cool, but I honestly, I think that's really cool. That is really cool, actually. There's there's a lot of spells that require some kind of hard-to-find material components, but don't necessarily consume it. And that's kind of a neat way to get around that, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know uh, actually one of them is Summon Aberration, where you are... You know, we talked about these the new summoning spells and how they're how they're really powerful, but also they require really interesting material components and summon aberration, something that you have to have uh, as your material component. I believe it is a pickled tentacle and an eyeball in a platinum inlaid vial worth at least 400 GP. So that's just something you have to have. It's not consumed, but if you use a psionic sorcery and you use four um, sorcery points to cast this fourth level spell, you don't you you get to work around that, and you don't have to have that insanely unique material component. Well, that's just neat. Yes, <laughs> and I just think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the second one I wanted to talk about and introduce a little bit is the Draconic Bloodline. That sounds very self-explanatory, and that's because it is. Uh, somehow, Dragon's Blood has made its way into your bloodline. They give you a chart in the book um, of all of the different dragon types. There's black, blue, brass, bronze, copper, gold, green, red, silver, white, and yellow, and green, and pink, and you know the song. That corresponds to a different type of damage. You know, acid, lightning, fire, poison, cold, those sorts of things. Um, and that will affect your the damage types or the features that you get later with whatever type of dragon that you choose. Um, the first level uh, feature that you get, you can um, cr increase your hit point maximum by one and it increase it again by one every time you gain a level in this class which is the second part like half as strong as the second part of the tough feat so you're kind of getting a weakened version of the tough feat just by taking this subclass your health automatically increasing by one every time you level up at the end that's 20 extra hp that you're getting for free and additionally, parts of your skin are covered by a thin sheen of dragon-like scales. When you aren't wearing your armor, your AC equals 13 plus your dex mod, which is really strong if you think about the fact that since sorcerers can't wear any sort of armor, they can only wear robes, their AC is 10 plus their dex mod. So they're getting a plus 3 to their AC just by picking this subclass. Um, AC equaling 13 plus your dex mod is essentially having the free mage armor spell cast on you every day all the time and uh their sixth level elemental affinity feature um when you cast a spell that deals damage of the damage type associated with your draconic ancestry you can add your charisma modifier to one of the damage rolls of that spell and you can spend an additional uh, you can spend a sorcery point to gain resistance to that damage type for an hour so it is all about elemental damage um you know if you want to work around ways like that you can you know, use that transmuted spell, but this I, this is a little bit more of an elemental sorcerer if you think about um, magic in a sense of elements versus how this last one was more about psionic power and doing psychic damage and things like that. This one is a little bit more you're picking an element, <clears throat> you're picking an element and sticking to it. And of course, later because it's dragons, you're going to be able to get to fly. You get a pair of dragon wings at 14th level. That one is in the basic rules, and I think they they made sorcerers really enticing in the basic rules with even that subclass. Um, and the last one I wanted to talk about, at least introduce, is shadow magic. So your bloodline was affected by the Shadowfell itself, or one of the darker planes. You can trace your lineage back to an entity from that place, or maybe your body was exposed to the Shadowfell. Um... You get two features first level, um, Eyes of Dark and Strength of the Grave. Um, Eyes of the Dark, you have dark vision with a range up to 120 feet. And when you reach third level, you can learn the darkness spell. And when you cast it using two sorcery points, you can see through the darkness created by the spell. And the darkness spell casts magical darkness, which dark vision can't pierce through. But if you use your sorcery points, you are able to pierce through the magical darkness with your vision. And Strength of the Grave is very familiar or very reminiscent of the Half-Orc ability, being able to not die when you're reduced to zero hit points. You drop to one hit point instead. Um, 
and you have to make a charisma saving throw to do that, and the DC is five plus the damage taken. But on a on a success, you instead drop to one hit point, and you can do that every long rest. And the sixth level ability that you get is essentially you are using your bond with the Shadowfell to summon a Shadow Wolf or a Shadow Creature. It uses the stats of the Dire Wolf for its um, combat statistics. The size is medium, it not large, and it counts as a monstrosity, not a beast. It appears with a number of temporary hit points equal to half your sorcerer level. It can move through other creatures and objects as if it were t- difficult to rain. And at the start of its turn, the hound automatically knows the target's location if it is fighting one. If the target was hidden, it is no longer hidden from the hound. So essentially, you have this, like, beast that is an amazing tracking animal that can attack on command and follow your commands. And I just think that's really cool. I'm going to say it again, but come on. Being able to summon this hellhound that is made of this undulating shadow being able to jump through objects and people and creatures to track down your enemies i think it's a really fun flavor to sorcerers you're not just alone casting magic you're able to now summon creatures and that is a little bit more of a unique flavor for sorcerers now i know we typically uh each time that we talk about a full caster we give a little bit of a list of spells that we like that are unique to that class unfortunately sorcerers are limited in their spell lists in terms of uniqueness there is only one so far that is unique to the sorcerer and that is chaos bolt now i took this with my sorcerer because i think that is a very unique kind of hard to get off spell but when you do it's very very rewarding so essentially you chuck this undulating mass of chaotic energy at a creature within range you're making you're making a range spell attack and on hit the target takes 2d8 plus 1d6 damage now you take one of the d8s you roll that on the chart here and that determines what damage type that is and when you do roll both of the d8s for the damage if you roll the same number on the d8s the chaotic energy leaps from that target to another one so you make a new attack roll against the new person for free and you can just keep doing that as long as you're rolling the same number on the d8 and that is a first level spell so 2d8 plus 1d6 is not a crazy amount of damage but the outcome that could happen where you're just making this chaos bolt leap from person to person to person it's a really fun flavor especially all of the different types of damage you have eight different types of damage that you could potentially do on the battlefield still a good amount of damage for first level spell and it's got a really good really high upside yeah very high upside a low downside where you may roll a damage type that a creature is resistant to but it's a it's a one in eight chance i will take those odds now for the playstyle of this class Much like other armorless full casters, you do want to stay in the back. Uh, Most of your spells will have a lot of range. Sorcerer's spell lists and metamagic options, I think, make them very versatile and creative casters. In my personal opinion, it is sorcerers, not bards, where art and magic meet. Sculpting spells and bending the rules of magic or even breaking them makes sorcerers true artists of magic, is what in my opinion. 
Um, and also being a charisma based caster, they are also very good at social situations. You may even want to choose more social spells for your sorcerer, depending on the campaign. So it just depends on what you want to do. You know, this is a highly charismatic full caster. They could be the face of the party. They could be the one making these dirty deals. Or they could just be a monster on the battlefield casting some of these incredible spells with their metamagic options. And I just think they're really cool. <laughs> That's a good enough reason to pick the class. I think they're really neat. And hopefully yes. you all listening after hearing this awesome summary of sorcerers will think they're pretty neat too. So tell us about barbarians and why you would like to rage. Exactly. So barbarians are a martial class. They are the class that it's going to be up in the midst of combat, swinging heavy, uh, heavy weapons and dealing a bunch of damage. Um, they are mostly defined by their rage. Uh, they're unbridled, unquenchable, and unthinking fury. Their anger is the ferocity of a cornered predator, the unrelenting assault of the storm and the churning turmoil of the sea. They are the protectors of their tribe, true warriors on the battlefield. What they get to do is enter into this berserk state called rage in the middle of combat, where this rage takes over, gives them superhuman strength and resilience. It's, the class is built around these two things, their rage and this other thing called reckless attack. Reckless attack is something that you get access to at second level. Rage is just right off the bat at first. What rage is... It's a state of mind that, as long as you're not wearing heavy armor, you can enter in as a bonus action, and it lasts for a minute, or if you end a turn having not dealt or taken damage. So it's this idea that your rage is fueled by uh, being in the middle of combat and really engaging with your enemy, and even uh, just simply taking damage in the middle of the combat. It's really that bloodshed that is fueling this rage. What it does, it gives you advantage on strength checks and saves, and it gives you a bonus to damage rolls with your melee attacks while raging. It's based on this chart in, in the book. I think it goes from plus two all the way up to plus four. Uh, also gives you resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. That's a huge one because a lot of the damage that you're taking at lower levels is just going to be one of these basic types. And you get to do this. You get to enter into your rage a number of times based on this chart that's also in the book. Um, and I think that goes all the way up to, I mean, once you hit 20th level, it goes all the way up to, you can do it as many times as you want, but it starts at, um, a plus two, I believe. And, uh, then just goes up from there, uh, to the number of times you get to do it. Um, then additionally, the other feature is their reckless attack. This is the second level thing, second level thing that they get access to. Uh, you can declare a reckless attack before you make your first attack in your turn. It only applies to that first attack. It's just simply an option. There's not a limit to the number of times you can do it in a day. It's just that first attack during your turn. And that's significant because once you hit fifth level, you get to attack more than once on your turn. What it does is it gives you advantage on your attack, but also attacks made against you for until your next turn have advantage against you too. So it's a little bit of a uh, give up a little bit to gain a little bit. Um, you're just really kind of like putting yourself out there, swinging your sword, making yourself vulnerable, but you also get to probably hit for a lot more too or have a better chance to hit um, and then like i mentioned at fifth level you get to attack twice on your turn and your movement does go up by 10 feet as long as you're not wearing heavy armor it gives you a little bit more more mobility more abilities to start swinging your your weapon in combat um and so that is the 30 second overview that lasted a little bit longer than 30 seconds but it's the basic overview of barbarian now the main stats for barbarian are strength and constitution you want to have a high strength, obviously, because when you do hit stuff, you want to be able to do a lot of damage alongside of that. 
and constitution uh, because you're going to be taking a lot of damage most likely. Of the classes, Barbarians have the highest starting hit die, which is a D12. Um, there are other classes that have a D12 as well, but that's the, the maximum that you can start with. So at level 1, you're starting with 12 plus your Constitution modifier hit points, and then every time you level up, you're rolling the D12 and adding that Constitution modifier. So you want to make sure that that bonus is as high as you can go to start. Proficiencies for this class, you start with uh, proficiencies in all armor and shields except for heavy armor. Uh, proficiencies in all simple and martial weapons. So it's, it's your things like uh, your daggers and javelins and quarterstaff. And then, um, you know, your martial weapons being like your battle axes, your great swords, your lance, long sword, that sort of stuff. Um, they don't have proficiency in tools. You know, we're talking about dealing damage and swinging swords. We're not talking about picking locks with this class. And then for skills, you get to pick two. You get a choice of animal handling, athletics, intimidation, nature, perception, and survival. So kind of depending on what, you know, sort of role play you want to do with your character or what maybe their background is, where they came from, um, you kind of have some direction with these skills. You know, if you are somebody that is more of a, an intimidating presence and you're kind of aware of your situation, maybe you pick intimidation and perception. Um, if you're picking something that is more uh, a barbarian that is kind of out in the wilderness, living off the land and kind of communing with nature, um, they pick something that's like animal handling in nature or survival. Um, so it really is kind of up to you. I, I wouldn't say that there's any particular skill of this that is better for barbarians. It just really is kind of depending on how you want to play it. Um, now the main subclasses for this, I will give the caveat that I don't really play barbarians. So to say main subclasses might be a little bit inaccurate. I just picked some that I thought sounded really cool. So for all of you that are listening that are barbarian mains, I've, forgive me, I might be talking about some classes, some, some options that are totally off the rails, but they just sounded really cool to me, and if I was a new player, these are the ones that I would think about first. So the first one is one that's directly in the player's handbook. It's called the Path of the Berserker. And I like this one because it's a really solid, simple path. If you just want to be a really combat-centric character and uh, maybe not wanting a class with a lot of nuance and complexity and you know not having to pay attention to some really kind of specific and complicated features at higher levels, it's really just all about your rage. It's kind of what this is centered on. Um, now, the lower-level things that you can look forward to, at third level, you have this feature called Frenzy. And it's just an option. You can enter into a Frenzy once you uh, enter into a Rage. Uh, there's not a, a limit to it. It's just uh, you just decide to do this. Um, what it allows you to do is while in while you're in rage and you declare it, I want this to be a frenzy, you can bonus action attack once on your turn. So instead of waiting for fifth level, if you want to say, well, I want to attack a bunch of times as fast as I can, you take Path of the Berserker, and instead of waiting until fifth level to get that second attack, you can bonus action attack if you enter into a, a frenzy rage. And then uh, after that rage ends, you gain a level of exhaustion. It's kind of the downside of this, uh, but that's fine because most of the time your 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 rage ending is kind of once you've out of, you're out of combat. Um, what what but that means is one level of exhaustion. If you're not familiar, it just means you have disadvantage on all your ability checks. Um, so that's frenzy. Then at sixth level, you get mindless rage, and this is just simply an always on effect. It's not like frenzy, which you have to declare. Mindless rage just means while you're in your rage, you cannot be charmed or frightened. So that's a little bit situational, but it's you know surely going to be beneficial in some spots. Um, and, and that's there are some later on effects, but those are the kind of the early level features of the class. So like I said, it's it's a simple. There's not a whole lot of nuance and complexity to it. 
but it could be something if you're newer, you just want something that's going to go in and hit for a bunch of damage and you don't have to do a lot of thinking and calculating and memorizing different features or, you know, choosing a lot of options. This might be one for you. Uh, the next uh, the next one, and actually the other two I want to talk about, the two other paths, they're kind of similar, but they sound really cool. I really like them a lot. Um, and that is, the first one is the path of the totem warrior. This path is that, that pathway that kind of is that relationship to nature. You choose a spirit animal that is your guide and your protector and your inspiration. It's all about that relationship and kinship with nature and beasts. And at third level is this feature called Spirit Seeker. Um, you, you, you get that kinship with nature and beasts and you get to cast beast sense and speak with animals as ritual spells, meaning you just uh, you spend 10 minutes casting this spell and it doesn't you know burn up any any sort of spell slots or any of that nonsense. So you, you do get to cast spells, but you don't have to worry about slots and whatnot like you would if you were a casting class. Um, just as a quick reminder, beast sense uh, allows you to uh, touch a willing beast and then you get to see through its eyes and ears for up to an hour. And then speak with animals lets you just simply communicate with animals for 10 minutes. Um, so it really enhances that relationship and kinship with nature. And then at third level also is the feature called Totem Spirit. You pick an animal that is going to represent your your uh, your spirit animal for the third level. Uh, for example, uh, bear, eagle, elk, wolf, tiger, those sorts of things. Um, or something similar depending on where you came from or what your, your environment is. Maybe you pick something that's uh, like a falcon instead of an eagle, depending on maybe an eagle doesn't really make sense for your environment. Um, and then you also acquire or make a totem that is sort of a representational of that spirit animal. Um, and that is an option. You could, you could just say that, uh, you know, you start to gain features that show that connection uh, to your spirit animal. Like if, if you're choosing bear, maybe, you know, you kind of have this like thick uh, fur that starts to grow over your body. Or if you're an eagle, uh, you choose the eagle, your eyes, uh, you know, turn yellow or something like that. Um, and that's not all. It's not just a role play feature. What you get when you choose one of these animals, if you choose bear, while raging, you get resistance to all but psychic damage, which is pretty huge. You kind of get this resilience of the bear. Eagle, while raging, other creatures have disadvantage on opportunity attacks against you. And you can also bonus action dash on your turn, uh, which is also extremely useful. Um, if you choose elk, while you are raging and you're not wearing heavy armor, which you shouldn't ever be wearing heavy armor as a barbarian, um, your walking speed increases by 15 feet. Um, you're kind of gaining this, this idea that the spirit of the elk makes you extraordinarily swift. The tiger, if you choose this one at third level, while raging, you can add 10 feet to your long jump distance and three feet to your high jump distance. You gain the, uh, the, the, the tiger-like leaping power. And then lastly, wolf, if you choose wolf at third level, while raging, your allies have advantage on melee attack rolls against creatures within five feet of you that are hostile. Um, it's giving you this idea that the wolf makes you the leader of the hunters. So I think any one of those options at third level is going to be extremely useful in basically every situation. Um, and they're all really powerful. I like this idea that you're uh, choosing this spirit animal and then gaining benefits. Your connection to nature is enhanced. Um, at sixth level, you can kind of do the same. You can do something similar. You can either choose the same animal you picked at third or you can pick a different one. So you read through these different abilities and say, well, I like the same one, let's take that, or I, I kind of like what Tiger looks like, and I'll take that one at 6th level. Uh, but just to give you an idea, um, the bear at 6th level, this feature is called Aspect of the Beast. The one at 3rd level, third level is just simply called Totem Spirit. But Aspect of the Beast at 6th level 
If you choose bear, your carrying capacity is doubled and you have advantage on strength checks uh, made for pushing, pulling, lifting, or breaking objects. Eagle, I think, is the coolest one. Um, you gain the eyesight of an eagle. You get to see up to a mile away with no difficulty as if you were looking at something 100 feet away. Dim light doesn't impose disadvantage on perception checks. I think that's really super cool, being able to see up to a mile away. That's insane. Um, you no longer need uh, a familiar to go scout ahead for you. You can just turn on your eagle eyes and you can see up to a mile away. I can't stress how cool it is. Um, hey, Barbarian, then, what do your eagle eyes see? Yeah, exactly. Uh, barbarian, what do you see standing right here? You know, you can see something as if it were 100 feet away, which really, that's realistically not that far away. Um, anyways, <laughs> I'll continue and quit fawning over the eagle uh, option at 6th level. Elk, um, if you choose that at 6th level, um, whether you're mounted or on foot, your travel pace is doubled, um, as is the travel pace of up to 10 companions while they're within 60 feet of you, um, as long as you're not incapacitated. Um, it's this idea that the elk spirit helps you roam far and fast. Um, maybe a little bit less useful depending on your situation. Maybe you're not doing a whole lot of uh, overland travel. I know in our Sunday game, we're basically just traveling for a couple of hours at a time in between settlements. Um, so maybe this one would be less useful in that situation, but you know, it, it is something to, to consider for sure. Um, tiger, uh, is, I don't know, in my opinion, a little bit less exciting, but you gain proficiency in two skills from the following list, which is uh, athletics, acrobatics, stealth, and survival ones that are not ordinarily on the barbarian list. Um, this idea that the cat spirit uh, hones your survival instincts. And then lastly is the wolf. At sixth level, if you choose wolf, um, it allows you to track other creatures while traveling at a fast pace, and you can also move stealthily while traveling at a normal pace. Uh, ordinarily, you would not be able to do that at a fast pace or move stealthily while traveling at a normal pace. You'd have to you know, move slower in order to compensate for your uh, attempts at moving stealthily. So I think some of those travel ones are maybe a little more situational, um, which is maybe a good idea uh, being at sixth level where you get to choose instead of just having to pick the same one. You can kind of um, a la carte these a little bit. Um, you are locked in place once you choose these. You don't get to pick a different one, I don't think. Um, but I, I do like this idea that uh, depending on the situation, once you hit sixth level, you might decide, well, we're doing a lot of traveling. I'll take the elk. Or you might just go, hey, eagle is super cool. I'm going to see 100 feet away, and it's actually like a mile away. Um, so, and there are some other things uh, once you, you know, at, at higher levels, but those are the ones that I think are the most exciting that I would we'd be looking forward to if I started playing this class, this pathway at first level. And that is the path of the Totem Warrior. Lastly is the path of the Storm Herald. And this kind of works the same way um, where you're picking, you know, from different options and it's giving you different benefits. Uh, this idea is your rage manifesting as this powerful natural aura which produces these magical effects so in my mind i'm thinking you enter into a rage and you're so angry and rageful that it actually manifests this aura around you i'm thinking like dragon ball z or something like that i think it's really cool and at third level is the feature called storm aura you choose an environment either desert sea or tundra and while raging, this aura is going, it's a 10-foot aura, and it, it gives a certain effect, uh, which you activate as a bonus action. If you choose desert, all other creatures in the aura take two fire damage each. Uh, if you choose the sea, um, you choose a creature you can see in the aura, and it takes 1d6 lightning damage 
um, on a failed deck save or or a half on a successful deck save. Uh, the DC for that's going to be eight plus your proficiency bonus plus your con modifier. Um, and then the other one, if you choose Tundra, the Storm Aura, I'm just imagining you enter into a rage and this uh, this blizzard-like effect just surrounds you in ten feet. Um, it creates the aura and anything, all the creatures in that area and, and in that aura are protected by these icy spirits and they gain two temporary hit points. Um, and then at, at higher levels, some of these numbers are going to start to scale. Um, so it's not just locked in place, only two fire damage or only 1d6 lightning damage or only two temp HP. It does go up when you level up. Um, then at sixth level is the feature called Storm Soul. And I believe that this is the same one that you chose at third level. It has the same idea of these auras being based on this environment that you choose. Um, and this is a, a feature that is always on. It doesn't, it's not just when your aura is active, it's kind of all the time. Um, and the, the benefit from the desert uh, environment is you don't suffer the effects of extreme heat. Um, in addition, you can ignite a flammable objects that a flammable object that isn't being worn or carried simply as an action, uh, which is maybe some more of a, of a role play uh, sort of a feature, um, you know. And certainly, it really depends on where you're at, what sort of uh, environment you're going into, to really gain the benefit of not suffering the effects of extreme heat. Um, but there's, I think, the the second half of that being able to just simply light something on fire with touch as an action. Um, is, is, is more usable, more useful, uh, depending on uh, the situation. Um, you can certainly light stuff on fire in more places than you can not suffer extreme heat, <laughs> is what I'm trying to get at. Um, the benefit from the sea environment at 6th level is you gain resistance to lightning damage. You can also breathe underwater and gain a swimming speed of 30 feet. Um, so that's another one that is maybe situational depending on the environment, but also really cool being able to breathe underwater and uh, gain a swimming speed um, is, is certainly pretty neat. I, I think maybe the first half of, of that one, gaining resistance to lightning damage is going to be more useful in the long run. And then lastly, the tundra environment. Similar to desert, you don't suffer the effects of extreme cold. And you can touch, uh, you can touch water, and as an action, you just turn a five feet cube of it, cube of it into ice for a minute, um, as long as there's not a creature inside of it. So there's no tricky stuff where you're throwing an enemy into water and then freezing him in a five foot ice cube. Um, so this one is more, uh, you know, maybe situational depending on uh, you know the role play, what you need. It's 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 kind of a weird one, but it, it's you know kind of neat anyways. I just like this idea that uh, as you enter into a rage, this environmental aura surrounds you uh then gives you certain benefits um and so that is the path of the storm of herald and like previous pathways previous subclasses it doesn't end at sixth level there are higher level features um but i wanted to talk about some of the early ones that might be something you're thinking about when you're thinking about do i want to take barbarian do i want to take this certain pathway so to sum up uh the class the general play style it's not real complicated with barbarians. You don't pick them because you want to have a lot of nuance and complexity. The idea with barbarians is you get in the mix of the fight, you get in the middle, you enter into a rage, and you hit stuff. Yeah, that's kind of it. You want to be entering into rage basically all the time. Um, even frenzied rage as much as you can. Uh, because the negative effects of that are pretty much negligible. Yeah, you're giving advantage to somebody hitting you, uh, but you got a lot of HP. And yeah, if you enter into a frenzied rage, once you're out of rage, you get in a level of exhaustion. But all that is kind of negligible as any of those negative effects 
they're going to come basically at the end of combat or you're getting disadvantage uh, when somebody, you know, somebody's going to get advantage when they go to uh, make an attack against you. But you got a lot of HP and you could just simply recover some of those effects from a short or long rest. So uh, they're, they're not really downsides, I, I would say. They're just sort of annoying things you got to deal with a little bit later. But that's basically what you need to know about barbarians. Get in the middle of the fight, enter into a rage, and if you can, go frenzied rage, if that's your subclass. Um, and so that's that's about it with with barbarians. I think they're they're kind of neat. They're they're not complicated, and uh, it's it's really good to have a barbarian in your party. I, I think what is attractive about this this class is uh, they get to do a lot of swinging of the sword and dealing a lot of damage. So they're kind of like fighter. If you want somebody that's a melee class, you're thinking like oh fighter or barbarian. But unlike fighter, they don't have a whole lot of uh, you know, battle master archetypes and styles and, and a whole lot of different, uh, you know, features and whatnot. They're, they're really straightforward class. You get in the middle of the fight, you swing your sword. Or as uh, one of our, our group in our Sunday game likes to say, I cast broadsword. That's kind of what you do. Yes. <laughs> well, I think that um, barbarians are a little bit more unique in the sense that, like, they are one of the only classes really where con is a very very prominent uh ability like a bit of ability score is what i mean like yes for some classes you want to have like con like higher but like you really want like strength con that's what you want you're going to be a huge meat shield that gets uh, a bonus to your health and a bonus to your AC based off of your con bonus. You're going to be able to outlast a lot of magical effects, swing your axe through a lot of things. Um, I, th- You know, there there's a lot to... They, they're very simple in their design, but are unique in each way that you try to play them. And I think that's... I'm not going to say it. That's really neat. I'm not going to say the phrase. Yes. Well, I, <laughs> I will. You. I will. I will end on this. I think um, what's great about that simplicity is it then allows you to focus more on maybe something you want to do more of, which is get into the backstory, get into the role play. You don't have to think about you know what spells am I taking or what uh, battle master archetype am I taking, what weird features, what's the nuance, what's the DC, uh, all this other stuff that other classes have to deal with. Barbarians, it's just going into battle, swinging a sword, and lets you focus on some of the RP that you might want to do more of. You know. What, mm-hmm. uh, how is my barbarian going to be unique? What is, you know, some of the things, where, where did, where did they come from? Why are they a barbarian? What are their weaknesses? What are the things that they're insecure about? You know, what are the things that they fear? You know, if, if you're somebody that really likes to RP like I do, that's, that just frees you up to go and put more energy and time into that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So... I think that's a, a, enough uh, babbling on about Barbarian. I think it's going to do it for our show this week, y'all. Uh, thank you for stopping by. If you like this episode, please check out our future episodes, which are released Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Central Time. Next episode, we're going to be finishing, finally, our beginner-friendly series uh, with an introduction to classes, and we're going to finish up with Artificer, the brand-new class introduced in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. This has been Discussions and Dragons. I'm Jaren. And I'm Britton. We'll see you next time.